Well, good morning again. I'm very excited to have you worshiping with us here at Faith Bible Church. Um, for those of you who have been, have been traveling with us, we are in the book of Malachi. For those of you that are visiting today, uh, just going to take a couple of minutes and give us sort of an understanding of what is going on. But in that, I want to take a minute and I want to just ask all of us a very simple question. How often in our lives do we look and expect God to perform or do what it is that we want or need in our time frame or in the manner of what we expect? And when he does not, we begin to question him or wonder if he's there or begin to doubt his love for us. It's a great question because oftentimes in our lives, what we can do is we begin to look at our temporal situation and we begin to become frustrated with what we perceive God should be doing and perhaps in our understanding, he is not. And oftentimes what that can cause us to do is either doubt God, question God, or begin to change what God has asked of us in order to suit our own idols and our own desires. And that is what's occurring in the book of Malachi. Again, for those of you that have been with us for the past several weeks, I do wanna let you know um, that we have to look essentially at the core of what's happening in this book to really understand the purpose behind Malachi's message. And that is simply this, it's challenging each and every one of us to be on guard about or against spiritual apathy in our lives. Becoming rote in worship, just ticking the box, just coming and getting things done, and then moving off and checking God at the door. And Malachi comes forward to the people of God as his messenger. That's what the word means, my messenger for God's people. In and around 400, 450 BC. Now what's important to realize in this is that God has worked with his people for centuries. God has provided for his people for centuries. God has delivered his people for centuries. If we look back to the Old Testament understanding of what's going on, God had brought his people back from exile, had brought them back to the promised land, reestablished the temple, reestablished the walls, reestablished Jerusalem, and God's people were essentially thriving in how God had viewed it. But over time, the people of God began to look for more, or demand more, or want more and they became dissatisfied with God. And so, interestingly enough, God sends this messenger, Malachi the prophet. He is essentially the final prophetic utterance or the final prophetic word that we see in Scripture, and then it in, uh, essentially ushers in what we call the intertestamental period or the period of silence until the arrival of John the Baptist and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so remember and recognize that Malachi comes forward, says these words as a loving rebuke to the people of God, but also never removing God's presence or love or care for them from them. And says that there is going to be a time when an individual will come who will be a refiner's fire. He will purify the body of believers. 
And the people of God are sitting there and they're upset because they're looking at it and they're saying, well, we want this now. We demand this now. Why must we wait? And interestingly enough, we have to remember and recognize that after Malachi leaves, it's not a couple of weeks. It's not a month. It's not a year. It's not our lifetime. It's over 400 years until what Malachi speaks of comes to fruition. And the reason that I want to put some emphasis on that before we dive into the passage and the structure of what's going on in Malachi is this. We're not very patient people, are we, today? I'm just going to be very honest. We want things now. I'll be 100% honest with you, Kelly and I, we uh, have started to increase our shopping on Amazon, and part of the reason for that is they have guaranteed us two-day delivery. And you want to know what happens when day two comes around and our desired item isn't there? We become very upset because we want it now. Imagine if there's a message from God that is challenging you, asking you to look deeply into your heart and ask a very simple question. Have I become apathetic toward you, Lord? Have I begun to turn from you and see more of what I want because you're not doing what I demand, how I want, and when I want it in the time frame that I want it? So I'm gonna move forward and I'm gonna begin to bend or change what it is that you've called me to do in order to suit my own desires. But then I'm also going to, under the guise of looking faithful, try to cover up the fact that my heart is very distant from you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what I want to encourage you in this morning is, lovingly, I want you to ask yourself a question. Is your heart far from God and his word? And are you here just under the guise of looking good or demanding that God does what you want, how you want, and when you want it, and that he exists for your own personal satisfaction, not that Christ has died to bring you salvation? It's a very serious question that we must ask ourselves. And we must come to the grips with the fact of, God, do we exist to glorify you? Do we exist to honor your kingdom? Or are we asking you or forcing you to exist to honor our little k kingdom of what we've built and established? And so this morning, we're going to be looking essentially at the turning or sort of the movement away from when Malachi is coming and saying, hey, I, I've got to come and tell you something, that God's not pleased with you. But in order to do that, we have to go back and we've got to look. And interestingly enough, we start off, and I've said this before, that in the very first verse, we read an oracle through the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. And I want to take a minute and I want to share with you the word oracle is essentially a burden. You can, some of your translations might say, a burden, the word of the Lord through Malachi. And God's burdened, but why is he burdened? 
Well, interestingly enough, we find right after that the reason that God is burdened, and that is this. God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Okay? Now, I, I just want to take a minute, and the manner of how that's being asked isn't loving. It's not how have you loved us. It's almost put off-ish. It's almost looking and staring at God and saying, how have you loved us? They're upset because what they think God should be doing, God is not. And they have become disgruntled with him and moved into their own form of worship. But interestingly enough, what we see is God says, I have loved you. And I've said this before, but it's very important to understand the foundation of this book. The I have loved you in the Hebrew is not a statement of finality. It's not I have loved you and I don't love you anymore. It's not I'm done. It is I have loved you and I want to point your eyes back to the reverberative aspect of how I have loved you throughout the centuries. And the reason that we see that is the next statement where we read, was Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And it's the manner in the sovereignty of God, him choosing to work through, uh, through Jacob and not Esau. But we have to remember that God could have chose not to work through any of them at all. And he's gracious to work through Jacob. And Esau serves as a reminder to us of the grace that we've been given through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We travel on, I won't obviously preach the remaining parts, I'm gonna just give context to get us up to the latter part of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three. But what we come to discover is that the people of God are upset with God, and God says, I've loved you. And then he turns to them and he says, but here's the issue. You're coming to me with blemished sacrifices. You're coming to me and you're giving me your leftovers. I have given all that I can to you. I have given you my best. I will always give you my best. And what I ask of you is that you bring forward a male sacrifice, male lamb sacrifice. And what you're doing is you're bringing in either a male goat that maybe has a broken leg, maybe you're bringing in a female, right? You're doing whatever you want as a leftover and placing it on the altar and then asking me to bless it. And we look and we say, well, what's so wrong with that? I mean, they're still getting a goat. It's all that fun. It's the heart from which the people of God are coming forward and asking God to bless them. They're saying, God, we want you to bless us, but we don't want to give you our best. And interestingly enough, I've told you before that God turns and he says, look, because of this, I'm gonna wipe the animal dung on your face. And what happened in the sacrifice is, for those of you that are hunters, before the animal was laid on the altar, it would be gutted, and the offal is what we read, is essentially the innards of the animal, and that was considered unclean. And that was taken out of the animal before it was laid on the altar, and it was then thrown out in the trash. And God says, that's what I'm going to do. 
Because you're coming without a heart of worship. And then to make matters worse, then they turn and they say, well, you know, we're doing fine, but that's not that big of a deal. And then they begin to become grumbled again. And they're upset and God says, but I have another issue. Not only are you not giving me your heart of worship in your sacrifice, okay, but also you have begun to defile the marriage covenant that I've asked of God's people. You've changed the laws. It's because your eyes are covetous. You're looking for a trade-up model. We'll just use it that way. And you've begun to change what I've called you to do so that you can get out of the marriage covenant that you are in unlawfully and marry a foreign wife unlawfully. Now, I've said before, it is not a racial issue there. We're not talking about interracial marriage. We're talking about the purity that God is demanding of his people. And the concern is, is that as these individual marry foreign wives, their foreign worship of gods will begin to permeate the purity of the church. But also, God is after the heart behind what's going on. And he's saying, you are doing this knowingly, unlawfully, and your heart is far from me in order to get what you want. And then you're asking me to bless something that I simply cannot do. And that's the issue that God comes forward with to God's people. Now, modernizing that for us today, I want to just ask a very simple question Are you giving God your leftovers? and asking him or expecting him to give you his best. And one of the things that I want to encourage you with is this, this passage, really, when we begin to look at it from this perspective, from the cross, begins to make all the sense in the world because God has given us his best. I've talked about it before, and when I tell you that God has given us his Lord, or our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his one and only Son, so that we might have eternal life. That is the best that God gives. And we get the best from Christ's sacrifice. We are forgiven, we are in God's kingdom, we have an eternal inheritance, our salvation is secure, we are part of the people of God, we are no longer guilty of our sins. It doesn't get better. And so lovingly, what I want to encourage your heart in is if we've been given God's best, then are we or why might we be giving him our leftovers? You can have a little bit of this, God, but I don't want to give you my best. It's a heart issue. God is after the heart of how we worship. And so this morning, we turn and we're looking now at the latter part of chapter 2 and the beginning part of verse, or sorry, uh, chapter 3, and it's the day of judgment. Before you all freak out, I just want to let you know that when this was written, chapter and verses were not part of the original text. They were added in later. And so for whatever reason, the way that this breaks out, it's not a perfect break at the chapter. Don't worry about it. Okay, chapter and verses came in later after the original dialogue and writings were distributed. But with it, I want to take a minute, and the question that we're going to ask and answer this morning is that with all of the evil in the world, 
Is there a God and are his promises true? What was happening also with the people of God is they were looking around at other individuals who were worshiping other gods and they were saying, their life looks pretty darn good. In fact, it looks way better than ours. And I don't understand why if we're worshiping you, albeit half-heartedly, our lives aren't better. Why is it that those people over there seem to be prospering so much more than we are? And they began to become disgruntled. And I'm going to just throw out a common question to us this morning. Do any of us feel that way? Do any of us look perhaps at other individuals who don't know Jesus and their lives are just going gangbusters and all is well and you're sitting there and you're worshiping Jesus and you're having to drive a used car and the person who's just slandered Jesus' name just got a brand new model, whatever it might be. And you're sitting there and you're going, I don't get it. I don't wonder, or I, I wonder why that's happening. And then we look and we see oftentimes it seems like people who are far from God are also getting away with a lot. Is there ever going to be justice? Is there ever going to be God coming forward and utilizing a refining fire? And so this is where we are today, and I'm going to be reading from verse 17 of chapter 2. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Interesting enough, almost sarcastically, how have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? Two big questions that are being asked that I'll speak to in just a minute. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as, it, uh, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprave aliens of justice. But do not fear me says the Lord Almighty. So here, Malachi, via God, as his prophet, is turning away. He's saying, I've laid my case. I'm giving you the evidence as to why I'm here and why God is unpleased with you. Now I am moving to show you what I will do. And one of the things that I want to encourage you in is that yes, there is judgment. Yes, there is a refiner's fire. But also please know that nowhere does God say, I'm abandoning you. I'm done with you. It's over for you. God is always saying, come to me. 
and I want you to be mine. But for lack of a better word, if I have to take you through a refiner's fire to purify you, I will. And so a couple things that I want to show you. First and foremost, in the first few verses, essentially what, what I see or what's going on here is that routine, apathetic, and ritualistic worship is evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now let me, let me give some explanation to this, okay? I'm not saying that you've got to come every Sunday, you know, joyfully, et cetera, et cetera. I get that in times our lives are challenging. I get that in times we're going through hardship. I'm not asking you that you come and you're always happy and nothing's wrong. But what I want you to ask of your heart is, when you're coming to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is it an afterthought? Is it just a tick off the box? Is it just something to get done? Is it just something that you're doing to say, yep, I came to church, all is good, God is going to bless me, but you know what? I don't really care. I'm going to give an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Pastor's going long. What about the football game? What about the potluck that I've got afterwards? But let me tick the box so that I can feel good about myself and hopefully have God bless me. But then I'm going to go off and after Sunday to the following Sunday, I'm not even going to spell G-O-D, God. Okay, I'm just giving emphasis to this. Now, I know I'm overemphasizing, but I'm trying to make a point. Where is your heart for him? Lovingly, are you desiring to see him exalted? Are you desiring to have your life molded more and more into the image of our Savior? Not so that you can get what you want, but so that you can glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and be a signpost to other people who desperately need the light and the joy and the blessing of the gospel. What we're seeing is that essentially what the reason as to why God is wearied is individuals are doing evil and they are saying it is good in the eyes of the Lord. And that's the reason why I laid the context earlier. The evil is you're bringing leftovers as offerings and you're asking me to bless them and you're saying it's okay and then also you're allowing something that is not allowed in scripture to occur, which is the divorcing of a wife to marry a foreign woman and then to legalize that marriage. While this one is illegal in the first place, that one can't be legal in the other. And you're wanting me to bless that. And you're saying it's fine, that's, that's the issue. And then it continues on and he says, not only that is, you're now saying, where is the God of justice? And that's why he says, I have loved you. Look back to Jacob and Esau. Look at how I've provided for you. Look at what I've done. And so a couple of quick things that I want to show you in that is when you feel that God isn't doing what you want, lovingly may I encourage you to go back and look at what God has already done for you which is he's given you his son. He's given you eternal life. You are a child of the living king if you've placed your faith and trust in him. Your inheritance is secure. You will be part of God's kingdom. Even though, perhaps, 
your neighbor next door who wants nothing to do with Jesus just got the raise and you did not. And then we see, he then turns and he says, I'm going to send you someone. He doesn't leave them there. This is, this is, I do want to just pause here for a minute. God doesn't say, you know what, I'm done. Okay, you know, I've, I've done all of this. And this is why I want you to turn back to the Old Testament. I have done, I have, time after time, I have come and I've told you that I've loved you. I have been your king. You said you don't like it. You want your own king. You demand your own king. I give you one. You're happy with it. And then all of a sudden, what? That king messes things up. You get upset. And I still walk with you. And I still bring you out of exile. And I'm still there. And I'm still delivering you. And I'm doing this. And you mess up again. And I deliver you again. And now I've delivered you. And you're unhappy. But I have loved you. And I will love you. Because I'm not done with you yet. And that's when we see at the turn in chapter 3, see, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Okay? That is the utterance of Malachi who is actually referring back to other prophecy, which I will speak to in a minute, speaking about John the Baptist. I'm going to send you a messenger. Right? Now, here's the fun thing, right? Think of us today. I'm going to send you a mess- messenger. Amazon Prime two-day delivery. Right? It's going to come. It's going to happen. Please remember that he will send a messenger, but it's over 400 years. And I guarantee you that in that, people began to wonder. Let me fast forward to today. Christ has promised to return, and Christ has promised to establish his kingdom. And we're going close to what? 2,000 years that Christ ascended into heaven. Do we doubt the promise? Do we begin to change the word of God? Do we begin to question his sovereignty? Do we begin to wonder where he is even though God has promised that he will do what he has said? A couple quick things. Um, Referring to John the Baptist all the way back in Isaiah 40, verses 3 and 5, okay? Several hundred years earlier, Isaiah says this, a voice of one calling in the desert... Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. All of mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the moment that Malachi utters these words, if anyone had been listening in the past, it should ring something in their ear to have them take notice and say, I think God has said that somewhere before. And then interestingly enough, what we have to remember is, he says so, and then Malachi comes, and Malachi goes, and close to 400 years go by, to where people begin to think, maybe it's a farce, maybe it wasn't, 
real? Maybe God doesn't know what he's talking about. Do we even believe these things? Does God even care? Does God even love us? And then interesting in us, as we are moving here in just a few weeks toward Advent, on a day that God knew, on a day that God planned, John the Baptist is born as the messenger of what? The one who would come, our Messiah. And not long after, Jesus our Savior is born. Just as at some point, Jesus our Savior will return. Interestingly enough, Jesus himself refers back to Malachi. And he refers back to John the Baptist in Matthew 11, verse 10. Jesus says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. And he's actually referring back to the statement made here in Malachi. And interesting enough, it says, then suddenly the Lord he you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Finite, period. He will come. There's no doubt, there's no concern, there's no question. So the first thing that we have to ask ourselves is, is our worship routine apathetic or ritualistic? And lovingly, what I want to encourage you in is that if it is, check your heart before God. But then also, as we see in verses 2 and 4, even though that's the case, the Lord has promised to purify and refine the righteous. God has said, I will purify and I will refine the righteous. And we see that in verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Now, a lot of commentaries will say this is referring to the day of judgment, which is essentially yet to come. But then also it says, for he will be like a refiner's fire, a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold or silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to desert you. But I'm going to refine you. I'm going to purify you to bring you back to the heart of what I'm asking of you in worship. And so a couple of things that I want to show you. We talk obviously about the purification or the refiner's fire and the launderer's soap. And I want to give you sort of the understanding of that. And then I want to talk about that in our own personal lives. What we see here is, is that the images used for that purifying work, the refiner's fire and the fuller's soap, stress both its, and then I've added in the judgment, okay, that's what it's to referring, thoroughness and its severity. It will be thorough and it will be severe. The heat of the refiner's fire was intense in order to separate the dross from molten pure metal. Similarly, the fuller washed clothes using uh, strong lye soap, after which the clothes would be placed on the rocks and beaten with sticks. 
Now, let me ask you something. How many of you would like to either be heated up, okay, and the dross separated out of you, or would you like to be scrubbed up in a pretty rigorous washing machine and then laid out and just brushed over rocks? Anybody want that? I don't see anybody raising their hand. Can I lovingly encourage you in something? All of our hands should be raised. If it means that God is refining and purifying us for his honor and for his glory. That's the point that's being made. I don't know about you, but I don't like being uncomfortable. I'll be honest. I don't like being refined. It's not something that I naturally desire. But if God came to me and he said, Trevor, I love you and I've loved you and I care about you and you are mine, but you are drifting from me or your worship of me is becoming apathetic and I see it in these ways, okay? Whether it was, you know, that I was bringing bad offerings or if I was married unlawfully or whatever it might be or maybe it was another area that God is looking at, but he made it clear. He said to me, I can show you why. But then God said, but I'm not done with you. I'm going to refine you. And I'd say, okay. And here's the point that I want to make. Sometimes in our lives, God must refine us. And it might not be easy. And you might wonder why God is doing what he's doing. And you might question his love for you. You might even question if he's there. You might even question if he cares. And perhaps you are being refined because he does care. And he wants you to be righteous in his sight. And so in it, he's refining you to separate the dross, to remove the impurity, to bring about a pure worshiper of God, to continue to sanctify or set you apart. I'm going to take real fast. How many of you have uh, ever purchased silver in the past? Anybody ever purchased silver? Okay, one of my favorite things to do, particularly when we go down to Mexico, is to purchase silver. Um, you can get wonderful silver craftings at relatively inexpensive prices. But what you want to make sure that you do when you buy the silver is that you turn it over and you see that there's a stamp on it and you see essentially 9.25. Anybody hear about that? Anybody know that? Okay, 9.25 silver. That demonstrates to you that the silver is pure, that they're not giving you a knockoff. And hence the value is increased, okay, monetarily. But that silver has had to be purified to make it what it is. And so in this, my question back is, are we willing to be refined by the refiner's fire? Or are we willing to be laundered, right, by the launder soap to make us more righteous? Or, let me throw this out to you, how many of us complain when we are being refined and we doubt God and his love and his sovereignty for our lives. But who can endure the day of his counseling, or sorry, the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? 
He will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings, uh, uh, sorry, who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. And so God has promised to purify and refine the righteous, but then also we look at verse 5, okay? We need to remember that the Lord will come in judgment, and for those who are in Christ, there is no reason to fear. But notice what's stated in verse 5 about those who are trying to give a knockoff religion. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppose the widows and the fatherless, who deprive aliens of justice, but do not fear me. So essentially what's going on here, and please hear me, okay, this is a list, and it's being stated to the people at that time. I want to let you know that it's important because it's demonstrating what God is saying to them, but it's also not exhaustive. It's not just those things. It's the heart behind which the people of God are coming forward and they're acting like they're worshiping him, but their hearts are far from him. And so they're engaging either in sorcery, they're engaging in adultery, they're engaging in perjury, they're engaging or decreasing laborers of their wages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is how you are not honoring me, God is saying. And right at the bottom says, but do not fear me. Revere, honor his name. Modern day, it's simply this. God, I'm asking you, I'm coming here to do my thing. I'm wanting you to bless me. I'm wanting you to give me the life that I want. I'm wanting you to give me all that I have. I'm wanting you to change everything and make my life perfect. But I'm not willing to give you myself. I'm not willing to honor you with who I am. I'm not willing to make you Lord of my life. I want all that you have to be given to me. I don't want to give you all of myself as my Savior and Lord. And so I'm going to give you my leftovers, and then I'm going to ask you to bless them. And so my other question is, is do we revere and honor God? Kind of a gut check. This is a thing that I want us to ask ourselves, a heart check for today. And that's this. Have you become apathetic in your relationship with the Lord? Okay. I'm not saying that it's got to be 100% perfect all of the time, but have you become apathetic? Is it just routine? Is it just something that, yeah, okay, I'll go to church, and I go to church, and that's it. Do the Bible, prayer, church, ministry seem more like an obligation or a privilege? Something just to get done, just something to tick off. Or do you view it as a privilege to be part of the kingdom of God advancing his work for the glory and honor of his name? Or maybe put another way, are you passive or passionate for Christ? And I just want you to ask yourself those questions as you read these texts. With all the evil in the world, is there a God... And ours promise is true. What we're discovering here is, yes, there is. And God is there and God cares for his people. But God is also going to individuals who have become apathetic in their worship and challenging them 
And so the final thing that I want to leave you with this morning is this, that God is a God of justice. God is a God of justice. And lovingly, I think a lot of times, particularly in the American church, we have preached God as a God of love, which he very much is, but we have also diminished that he is a God of justice as well. He has promised to purify the righteous. So in that, if that's what he's promised to do, my encouragement to all of us is, let the refiner's fire refine you. Let the refiner's fire refine you to make you pure as gold. And when we begin to question what God might be doing, rather than wondering of his love for us, wondering whether he is sovereign, wondering whether he cares, wondering if he's there, wondering if we should change the word or the promise that has been given, Maybe what you need to go and ask God is, Father, how might you refine me to make me more pure? And I've said it before, because God disciplines those whom he loves. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for this text in Malachi. Um, It's a joyous text. It's a good text, but it is a heavy one. It is one that causes us to really look deeply in our hearts and ask ourselves a very simple question. And that is this. Is our relationship with you rote and routine or is it vibrant, living, and active? Father, And if it's become rote and routine or if it's become apathetic, thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that you don't abandon us, but you continue to pour yourself into us. And Father, in that, thank you that you've given us your Son, your one and only Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so that we might have eternal life. We might have the eternal inheritance, we might have the kingdom of God, we might be sons and daughters of a living king, adopted into the family of God with full rights and privileges in the kingdom. Father, thank you that that already is established, yet it is to come. And Father, similarly to the message of Malachi, May we recognize that Malachi brought the word. People might have thought that it was going to happen quickly. 400 years or plus went by. And I'm sure in that time, people began to doubt if God was real, doubt the message of Malachi. Father, for us today, we have been told, we have been promised that Jesus will come again and he will establish his kingdom. And yet we wait. We wait close to 2,000 years. And Father, I'm sure at times we wonder if the promises are true, if God is real, if God truly will come in the manner that he said. And Father, may may we remember and recognize that it is so. And on that day, God will refine those who are in Christ. And what a joy it will be. We thank you for these promises. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. But we also thank you for your justice, Lord. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say.